Welcome to So What Do You Think podcast special six-part series, Perth's Missing and Murdered Women. Over these six bonus episodes, we will discuss nine cases that have occurred over the last 30 plus years and see if we can make any connections between them. Late last year, we saw the trial and sentencing of Bradley Robert Edwards for the Claremont serial killings. He was found guilty of the murder of Jane Rimmer and Kira Glennon, and although she's never been found and therefore there's not enough evidence to convict him, it's suspected that he's responsible for the death of Sarah Spears also. It's been speculated that he could have been responsible for even more murders, but also there are some really bad guys out there that have potentially been responsible for these other murders also. Although there are many, far too many women being killed in Perth and everywhere in general, we've chosen to focus on a specific nine that are often discussed when the subject of Perth serial killings comes up. The women we'll be focusing on are Barbara Weston, Julie Cutler, Kerry Turner, Lisa Brown, Darylin Eugle, Corinne Rainey, Robin Santon and Aveta Mitchell. We wish to shed a light on each case and see if there are any connections to be made or any conclusions to be drawn. Tonight, we'll begin with Julie Cutler. So, B, what do you know about Julie Cutler? Nothing. Another one where we're going in fresh. Yeah, we're going in fresh. Um, I feel like I learned about her while doing research for our mm-hmm. podcast. Okay. Um, as in, I came across her case, but I don't actually recall much i might once we start talking Mm -hmm. okay all right so the basics are julie cutler was 22 years old she was a former student of iona college and studied english literature at wa institute of technology which is now Curtin university she was raised by her father roger after her mother's death when she was little and she had a half sister named nicole she just returned from overseas travel and she was working at the Parmelia Hilton Hotel in Perth as a room attendant. So the date was the 20th of June, 1988, and she'd gone on to an awards night in the hotel nightclub called Juliana's. She changed from her work clothes into her evening wear and put work clothes in a plastic bag. She was then seen leaving at about 12.30am from the nightclub. Her car, which was a grey Fiat, was parked in the employee car park and she was last seen inside the passenger door leaning into the car. They know that she returned back into the nightclub at one stage, but they, I don't, I'm not entirely sure how they know that. That's just sort of one of those things that's come up in my research. But then eventually she does leave for the last time that night and her Fiat is seen at an intersection of Mill Street and Mounts Bay Road in Perth. So that's basically it. It's not much to go on, but the next day she just doesn't show up to work. So the alarm bells start to go off. Now her flatmate Fiona becomes really worried when she didn't come home. The next day on Wednesday the 22nd, her car was found in the surf at Cottesloe Beach near the groin and the surf club. So the keys were still in the ignition and the lights were on. The back seat was missing, which I thought was a bit strange. I can't imagine it's easy to get a back seat out of a car. Uh, And they found it washed up a little bit later on. Inside the car were still champagne flutes and they were branded with Parmelia Hilton insignia. There were also cigarette filters from a brand that Julie didn't smoke in there as well. Now, the helicopter came out and did a search. They found nothing. The divers found nothing. They found no handbag, no clothes, no shoes, and no jewellery either. 
Now, they found that the car had actually gone off the groin, which is like, for anyone who doesn't know what the groin is, it's like a long ocean wall made out of rocks. And for anyone who's deep been down to the Cottesloe one, it's like all the other groins in the area. It's got quite high rocks. So it's really, this is the first bit to me that sounds like, what? How could this have happened? Because if you go there, these rocks are probably maybe a metre high. So yeah. I just don't know how a car could have gone over the top of them. Yeah. But obviously there was some sort of evidence to say that's how it got over there. I don't know whether there were scratches on them or something like that. But, I mean, even if you were driving really, really fast and hit those rocks hard and got airborne or something like that, I just still can't see it. Can't see it working. Was the groin <clears throat> different then, though? No, because I've, I've actually got photos of it and it's the same as it is nowadays. So. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. So let's put a pin in that. Yeah. So the police said that the car had been in the water since the night she disappeared. I don't know how they know that. And I find it unlikely. It's two days after she's gone missing. So it basically would have had to have been in the water for a full over 24 hours, but an entire day during daylight when people could have seen things. Now, it was in the middle of winter, so maybe it was a really stormy, choppy day or something like that and people couldn't see what was in the water. But Cottesloe Beach is quite heavily trafficked. I mean, maybe not so much by swimmers in June, but people are down there all the time at the surf club, walking around, going to the cafes, that sort of thing. So for starters, that sounds a bit odd to me that nobody saw this car in the surf. Now, the Fiat had rear doors that couldn't be locked. So some say that a person could have been laying wait for her as she got into the car. Uh, She had actually experienced a rather scary incident a few months prior when she was travelling on Sterling Highway on her way home from work. She actually had a road rage attack. So someone was tailgating her, doing the usual road ragey thing, trying to drive her off the road, coming up alongside her, swiping her and that sort of thing. She reported the incident, but I don't think that she got a number plate or anything like that. So really nothing came of it. I mean, I, I personally have been in situations like that where I've just got some idiot who's tried to, you know, take exception to me for whatever reason and run me off the road. But it's worth noting just because of what happened to her in the end. So there'd also been a break-in at her apartment not long before she went missing as well. All of these things might be completely standalone. They might have nothing to do with her disappearance, but they may also as well. So they've got to be noticed. Now, it looked as though the night that she actually Um, went home from work and disappeared that night, it looks like she actually did make it home because her wallet was found in her apartment. Now, her purse and everything like that was not found in the apartment, though, just her wallet. So some people have said, did she even take her wallet with her that night? Again, speculation, we don't exactly know. So it kind of nothing happened for a while. It was all a big mystery. They dragged the car out of the ocean. They started questioning people, people she worked with, people who had seen her in the car park and nothing just ever happened with it. Until 12 months after she disappeared, the owner of King Kebab Takeaway contacted the police to let them know that he had actually found a plastic bag full of clothes around the time that she disappeared. He'd found it in the kebab shop and it had been shoved under a table. It contained a white Parmelia Hilton staff blouse in her size, a black skirt and black stockings. And it actually looked to be the bag that she was carrying that night. He hadn't handed it in. 
as he didn't recognise the significance of it. We can sort of speculate as well about that. Why didn't he really hand it in? Was it just because he found this bag and went, I don't know what this is? I think King Kebab is in Northridge and I and I believe I know which sort of kebab area it is. <laughs> I think you and I have been there together on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> um, after a big giant slices of pizza as well. I don't know whether it's that one. I know there's a couple along there. Yeah. Um, but a it's a bit one. of a dicey area, especially in the middle of the night. So yeah. I can see that he probably does find weird stuff from time to time. Of yeah, I'm sure that. He's oh, some person's left their uniform here. Oh, well, not my yeah. problem. Yeah. And some people sort of said, well, how do we know that it was Julie's? It could have been anyone that worked at the Hilton. But apparently that specific uniform, there was only a few of them that had been made specifically for those staff. So, and the fact that it was in the same sort of bag that she'd seemed to be carrying kind of led them to believe. I don't know whether they've since done DNA testing on it or anything like that, but they should. I feel like they should reopen this case. So So eight years after the disappearance and nothing else has happened, some items were found in the sand dunes at Cottesloe Beach by someone called Cal Redfern. It was a large brown bag and just a little coin purse. So we know that her wallet was at home, if this was her stuff. So just a little coin purse with some coins in it, a pen with the word Hawaiian written on it and an empty diary. He had also held on to it for a year and it wasn't until he saw a Crime Stoppers episode about Julie and then he put two and two together and realised that, oh, maybe I've got something here that the police might want to see. So people, stop holding on to weird stuff that you find, please. Yep. Friends and family were shown the items and at first they said they didn't think that they were hers, but since they've done cold case inquiries and that sort of thing and they have actually found out that they look like they were hers, Unfortunately, they were destroyed before testing could be done, which is really frustrating. Um, It is the process, though. Obviously, at first, the family had said, nope, that's not her stuff. So they've gone, okay, this is nothing then, and they've destroyed it. Hindsight is 2020, obviously, but, yeah, it doesn't help us much now. Five years later, in 2002, that that whole area was excavated. Uh, obviously, it took five years, but they finally worked out that this stuff must may have been hers and they wanted to look into it further. So they brought in the um, machinery and they went to town on the sand, sand dunes, but never found anything. Having a think about um, this, this case gets compared to the Claremont murders quite a lot. And a lot of people sort of say that they think that Julie Cutler might have been one of Bradley Edwards' first victims. When I've been looking at it, though, the only similarities I can see in Julie and the other victims is that Julie went to Iona, as did, I believe, Kira Glennon did. Uh, Julie did used to frequent Claremont to go out for the nightlife. And in 1988, when she disappeared, that was the same year that Edwards attempted to rape the um, Huntingdale girl. So he did a break and enter. He sexually attacked a girl in her bed and they say that it was an attempted rape, but she scared him off. So we know that he was offending in that year. Yeah. Also, she just returned from overseas travel, which also Kira Glennon had done right before she was taken. But, I mean, these are the only similarities and I just can't see a car ending up in the ocean being the same as those other girls. It looks as though he picked up the other girls in his car, you know, so I don't know what the car's got to do with it. So I don't make the same connections that other people do, but, you know, there were other suspects 
uh, there was the main one was a male friend from uni, but eventually he was ruled out as well. He had an alibi. So there's never really been any hard evidence as to who has done this. Now, uh, some other things to note. Some people, people say that Julie was planning to go to Burswood Casino after the party. So that's a whole other crime scene, if that's the case, that things could have happened there. And the whole dumping at Cottesloe thing, yeah, like I said, I just don't understand how people didn't see that car. Even her dad said that there's no way that that car wouldn't have been seen. So I don't even know whether it's possible to get that car out there. And, and there are other ways to the beach. And I've actually been to Cottesloe Beach, you know, over the years and looked. And you can actually just drive down onto the beach from, like, the surf club there. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it could have just been driven into the beach then. And I don't know why the police were so adamant that it came off the groin. Maybe there were scratches or something. I think it has something to do with the fact that the car was found on its roof and they felt as though it had to have almost been dropped from a height to do that. But those tides can get pretty big and I can well, see it being rolled over. The end of the groin? Yeah, like- yeah. they just seem to think that you couldn't have driven the car in from the shoreline and then it ended up on its roof a little bit further out. And I reckon if the the swell was big enough and, you know, Cottesloe, if you've swam there, it does have a bit of a drop-off that's quite close to the shore. It does. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think, you know. I just possible. don't understand how anyone could get a car over that groin. No, I, I'm really pushing like back on the whole groin theory. Drops are high. Yeah. Another thing that's interesting is that apparently Macro Task Force, which was the task force that was looking into the Claremont murders before Edwards was caught, they actually apparently told Julie's father that they actually believed it was a Claremont serial killer that did this. So they have obviously linked it somehow, and I don't know why. Maybe they know more, you know, than we do, than they're actually letting out to the public. I, I, I don't know how they've come to that conclusion. When was the first murder that he was actually charged for? What year was that? So Jane Rimmer, she was killed in 1996. So we're talking eight years later. Uh, but like I said, he had committed that Huntingdale sex attack. So he was definitely doing dodgy stuff at this stage yeah. and he was offending. Who knows? Maybe. Because the other girls were out of ways. Their bodies were found. Yeah, they, they were, were found like, sort of on the outskirts of the CBD. Like the only, I'm just trying to link it to him somehow. Um, yeah, I tried as well. I'm so, trying to make it work, but it doesn't. So like Sterling Highway's right there. Cottesloe, like they're right next door to each other. Um, and Cottesloe Beach, like I said, there's always people down there. Yeah. But I, just, I don't know, maybe if it was him, it would have been very early days mm. and then maybe he had learned from that and gone, this is my area where mm. I like to use my, my victims and disposing of the bodies is not a good idea to do it here because it's mm. too close. Well, that's the other thing too, is that people have sort of speculated that she wasn't in the car when it went into the water because the seat floated up onto shore and she didn't. Yeah. Does that that mean, yeah, I don't know. Does that mean that she sort of went one way and the seat went the other? Like wouldn't the tides have taken them in the same direction? And they did do a big sea search as well and they never found her body. Yeah. And look, you know, sharks, that sort of thing. Yeah, there was a shark attack there. Oh, yeah, there's there's been shark attacks in that region. 
um, yeah. before. Right there. <laughs> right, literally right there. Right there. <laughs> yeah, literally right, right there in Cottesloe yeah. Beach, yeah. I won't actually swim at Cottesloe Beach because of that big shark attack that had that fatal one that happened years ago. <laughs> yeah. I won't do it. I actually swim at the beach down the down the road from it, but I won't swim at Cottesloe Beach. <laughs> I a lot of time at Cottesloe Beach as a child. <laughs> yeah. Swim in that, like, the man-made pool. The little, oh, like, that's not there anymore. No, it's not. I no, if it was, I probably would. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, um, I, and I spent a lot of time on that groin, like. Yeah. A lot of up and down those rocks. I don't get a car over there. No, I don't think so like, either. So there you go. Local opinion by mm-hmm. us says. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, grew up there basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, have a lot of friends that live around there now, you know. Like, yeah. No. Don't think so. No. The only other link I can think of is, but again, it's hearsay. It's like maybe just a coincidence. Is the road rage incident, which happened on Sterling Highway earlier? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think that there was another attack, and I'm going to read out the details of it now. I just want to give a trigger warning here because it's pretty intense details. The woman was never named. She did survive, but because of these uh, attack laws that they have um, women who have been sexually attacked aren't allowed to give their names out to the public and, you know, may have chosen not to as well. But there was another woman. And on the 28th of May, 1988, so this is just before Julie went missing, a 44-year-old woman who in the media has been called Dorothy. Now, she left the Sheraton Hotel in Perth. So this is in the same vicinity as the Hilton. And she was abducted and beaten nearly to death over three and a half hours by someone. So she'd been walking to her car when she was grabbed and she was beaten so badly that police found clumps of hair the next day. Now, she said that uh, he had an abrasive pair of gloves on, which he kept on using to drive into her face using his palm repeatedly. And he bashed her against a brick wall and a wall of that was made up of metal poles. He dragged her across the street and flung her to the ground where he kicked her in the spine and the kidneys until her bladder and bowel gave out. That's how much he beat her up. He punched her face into the ground. He pulled her arms, her arms behind her and wrapped them in tape as well as her ankles. And he grabbed the cummerbund that she was wearing and wrapped it around her mouth. He then kept on wrapping the tape around her until she was completely wrapped up like a mummy. And all the time, he just kept telling her she was going to die. He then put her in a small yellow car, took her to the suburb of Wilson, and then he threw her out on Centenary Drive and shoved her face into the blue metal. He then threw a plastic sheet over her and drove off. Now, I don't know whether he thought she was dead. It sounds like she probably should have been after all of that. But she survived and she was found by a taxi driver not long after and taken to Mount Street Hospitals. There is some similarities in the fact that she was leaving a hotel and he sort of blitz attacked her, which we don't know if that's what happened uh, to Julie, but it may have been. This man was driving a small yellow car with like steel racing bucket seats 
And the man was obviously wearing the abrasive driving gloves as well. Obviously, this is a really, really awful attack. And I hope that this isn't what happened to Julie, but we know that Julie is no longer around. So who knows whether these things were related. Now, a witness came forward a few years ago and said that she actually had heard a woman screaming coming from a car park on Marine Parade in Cottesloe the night that Julie went missing. And another person reported the same thing but didn't identify themselves. So I don't know why these people are waiting so long to come forwards. Uh, I don't know why all of a sudden they're remembering things because no doubt it would have been all over the news when all of this happened. So I always sort of am a little bit suspicious of people who come forward many, many years later. But, look, who knows? You've got to take it seriously, especially the police have to. Take it seriously yeah. as well. So, Julie Cutler, what do you think? Um, I would like to think it is tied through, tied into Bradley Edwards, but I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's too, too, it's too easy for it to be him. I just think it sounds a bit different to him. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's the same MO to me. It, yeah. Yeah, and I think that the thing is that Perth, although it's a huge, well, it's, you know, it's a big place as far as distance goes, but there's not a lot of people here. We don't have a lot of serial killers. Like we had the Bernies. Oh, good old Bernies. We had Edgar Cook, Eric Edgar Cook in the 60s. Mm. Um, and now we've had the Claremont serial killer. And I think that people instantly tie things together because it's like, well, there's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. Um, He's the one that's doing the bad things. But do you know what? For years, having, you know, been involved in the web web sleuthing online community and, you know, I was right into looking into the Claremont killings even before. I mean, I was in high school when all of that happened and I remember being terrified. Um, because, you know, I was going to be coming up to my nightclubbing years very soon. Driving with my dad. And I mean, I mean, I would have been, gosh, how old would I have been? <laughs> An infant. I would have been about seven or eight years old. And yeah. I remember driving with my dad from Fremantle. So we were where it, and where Sterling Highway had ended and we were onto like the Rockingham, Hampton Road, Rockingham Road. Yes. Yeah. And I remember my dad pulling over this young girl who um, she would have probably been about 18, 19 years old, was hitchhiking. And my dad was like, what are you doing? Why are you hitchhiking? Don't you know what's going on? Get in my car. I'm taking you home. Yeah. And even as like an eight-year-old, I remember going, you're telling her not to get into the car. You're telling her to get into the car. That makes no sense, Dad. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the fact that his young daughter was with him was, yeah. Um, yeah. and that was, you know, classic of my dad to be like, what are you doing? Get in the car. This is dangerous. I'll take yeah. you where you need I'm to be. I'm not the bad guy, though. I'm, I'm not the bad yeah, yeah. so I promise. I remember, I remember that's one of my very, like, earliest memories. <laughs> Just questioning, going, this makes no sense. Yeah, this that is literally what Edwards did. Like, he got their trust yeah. and got them in the car, yeah. so... Yeah. yeah, what I was going to say is that in all of this web sleuthing and stuff like that and research for this show, the thing that stands out to me terrifyingly is that there's so many bad guys out there. It's not just the one. And, yep, some of them might be serial killers potentially, but individually speaking, there's just so many bad guys. And I remember before Edwards was discovered and, and caught, 
you know, and everyone was speculating for many years over who it could have been, it just shocked me how many people it could have been yeah. uh, because of, there was all these bad guys out there and they all could have been quite capable of doing yeah. these things. So I don't think that Julie Cutler was related to the Claremont killings. I don't think it was Edwards. Um, but, geez, what a weird thing anyway, chucking the car in the water. Like if you want yeah. to draw attention to something, you put it in, in at one of the... That. Julie Cutler and the anonymous lady who we just spoke about are more likely to be linked. Yes. Given the hotel similarities being within the same vicinity. Yeah, don't, yeah. And unfortunately, I feel like this may be one that isn't solved. No, I don't feel like it can be solved unless somebody confesses because it was a while ago now. I'm going to say that this was someone else. Is it going to be related to any of their future cases that we're covering? Maybe. Uh, And maybe it's just a bad dude who did something really bad opportunistically to a poor girl that was leaving work that day. So next up, we are going to be talking about Kerry Turner and Barbara Weston. We will do that one next and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.